What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Blockhash Exploring the Blockchain. Quick message from our sponsors, BNFT and Nitro Betting. BNFT is a groundbreaking platform that combines the unstoppable force of blockchain technology and the limitless potential of artificial intelligence to revolutionize. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply personalized learning and earning experiences. BNFT leverages AI to create immersive educational environments for collaboration and utilizes DeFi to transcend traditional e-learning experiences. You can also earn exclusive certificates and showcase your achievements with unique NFTs. You can learn more by going to bnft.solutions and their social media channels. Nitro Betting is a top Bitcoin and crypto betting site that allows you to place bets in casino games, sports books, racing, gaming, you name it. It's your money. You should be able to have fun with it too outside of traditional investing. So check out all the action at nitrobetting.eu. All links are in the description below. Enjoy the episode, guys. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Blockhash Exploring the Blockchain, episode 353. Back again for part three, we have Seth Hicks with Private Banking Strategies here to talk about those strategies and how they may apply to crypto, preserving and saving your wealth and privacy strategies. Seth, welcome back to the show, man. How you doing? How's your summer? Hey, thanks, Brandon. Awesome, man. You can probably see I got a little sun on my face. I was I can at see the that. beach in Southern California and... Uh, out in the sun a little bit too much and had my sunglasses on. I've got the raccoon face like you went skiing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I've gotten out a little bit too. I went to Cartagena a few weeks back, actually about a month ago and, and got some sun too. Surprisingly, it didn't burn. I'm, I'm white as hell and I thought that I was going to like turn into a lobster, but um, I survived. Thank, thank goodness. Um, but it's it's nice to get out, touch some grass every once in a while. Yeah, I forgot um, to put on the sunblock, man. And I, I did. I got I got roasted, man. I got blistered pretty good right. on the shoulders and, and back. But uh, oh, well, it'll, it'll grow back, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it, it'll come back. Um, Want to throw up the U.S. national debt clock rule here since you sent Absolutely. it over to me. Um, it is wild how high the, the national debt is i think it's currently sitting at um almost 33 trillion dollars and credit card debt is over a trillion dollars now um student loans are in a crisis i think housing is entering another crisis um you know it's across the board it's an absolute disaster um you know curious what your thoughts are on this and you know can is this sustainable like can we keep going in this direction in the u.s like i feel like something's gonna break pretty soon absolutely and you're hit the nail on the head uh you, you can't this is not a sustainable curve it's become parabolic at this point 
um, I, I believe you and pointed out um, before we started recording uh, just the rapid uh, multiplication of, of the national debt probably doubled in, in a decade. Um, and I believe when Bush came in, we were to office the uh, Bush Jr. in the early 2000s, we were in single digit trillions. So it, it's, it's rapidly and parabolically increasing and it, it probably uh, you know, need, doesn't need to be said, but that obviously devalues your your dollar and your purchasing power. And people have seen that at the gas pumps, at the grocery stores, um, in housing property. For example, when I was in uh, law school, I went to Pepperdine in uh, Malibu, and there were some great uh, palatial estates. Uh, I graduated in 1998, so I was there in the mid-90s. And these palatial estates would be 10 million, 15 million. Uh, I was—I had a friend; his uh, family was the caretaker for um, Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston at the time uh, of a property on, in Malibu that had like awesome estate-style property, private. Mm. It was worth about 20 million bucks at that time. Those type of properties now are have 10x. I mean, it's 200 million for that property. And you look around and just the dollar doesn't purchase near of what it did even a decade ago, yet alone two decades or three decades ago. Um, and so it's not sustainable, um, as, as we all know. The question is, what do you do? How do you protect yourself? Um, you know, and, and sometimes people may start making more money and they, it gives them a false sense of security. Like they've got, you know, they're thinking that uh, the three times the money they were making a decade ago actually has three times the purchasing power, which it doesn't. It probably has half the purchasing power. So there are absolute um, ways to protect yourself. And I think most of our audience that's in crypto, uh, the, the type of protection uh, you know, is diversifying, uh, having crypto, having perhaps uh, metals, other hard assets that are going to appreciate at, at the same or greater type of uh, growth. Yeah, I want to talk about some of those options, you know, what what strategies might be out there for people, because this the national debt looks so unsustainable at this point. I don't think it's ever going to get paid down. It's ever going to get rectified in any kind of way. So, you know, the best thing that people can learn to do is prepare themselves accordingly and protect their money and, and, and learn to um, have a little bit of sovereignty over it, privacy over it and, and learn some of those methods. Um, and, and also in pertaining to crypto, too, you know, are, are there avenues where people can utilize crypto and potentially um, also protect their money, hold it privately? Obviously, I know is one of them. Um, but it, is there some strategies there that maybe you've pondered and explored? Absolutely. There sure are. We, we touched on this uh, a bit in the last recording about where you purchase and where you liquidate your crypto. And this gets off into uh, places where we have to uh, kind of analyze people's um, uh, conceptual ideas and obligations with the IRS. And most people have been brainwashed to think that uh, that they've got to comply with every notice of the, the IRS sends and so on and so forth. And we, we've discussed that a little bit, but I, I would invite people to really investigate what the law holds. And, and here's a, a primary question is, show me the law that pertains to the payment of 
taxes as a citizen and who is a citizen of the U.S.? Is it a person of every state? And and this might be a, a red pill for a lot of folks, but a citizen is defined in the Internal Revenue Code as a as a, a, a resident of the, the District of Columbia, which is Washington, D.C., or other territories outside the contiguous U.S., um, so there are avenues where, like, I think that you can effectively maintain privacy in your purchases and liquidations of crypto and how you handle uh, the reporting of those is really up to your uh, knowledge, uh, your understanding of the law. And um, so I'm not obviously we're not giving anybody advice on any specific situation because we don't know their specific situation, but I would uh, encourage people to choose carefully where they purchase and where they sell. Um, and uh, we have uh, brokerages with and relationships with certain uh, boutiques that are maintain financial privacy. Um, I mean, most people probably know that Coinbase was subpoenaed by the IRS and they uh, effectively negotiated the um, disclosure of their client base above a certain threshold which is pretty low, like $20,000, I believe. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, that's an invasion of your privacy uh, to the nth degree. Um, and people are in crypto because they want to maintain privacy. And that's another common attribute with private banking strategies is that the way that we bank our, our fiat and the way that we protect those cash assets are also financially private. Insurance companies don't raise their hand uh, and file any forms or report to the government when you've got ins and outs. And in fact, this is one of the, the cool things about private banking strategies is that once your money is in that that system, that structure, which we use uh, a supercharged whole life insurance policy, it is actually exempted in the Internal Revenue Code. It's Section 7702. Uh, if folks want to look that up, so Internal Revenue Code 7702, which actually uh, exempts and carves out the growth, the ins and outs of the money into the uh, in the private banking uh, system. So they don't have to report anything and you don't have to disclose anything because there's no taxable event. Um, so that's one of the good things about that. And it's also asset protected, unlike banks, which we discuss some as well with bank failures and dominoing things and insolvency with banks. Where would you want to put your cash? You know, some people taking it out, putting it under their mattress. There's been bank runs and some people get uh, left with no chair to sit in when the music stops. But you can also have it in, you know, you don't have to have it under your mattress or buried in, in treasure chest. You can actually keep it in, in your private banking system where it is totally liquid, completely accessible and uh, free from taking, free from insolvency. So, yeah, I, I think the problem is just holding cash in the bank, period. I mean, the FDIC only has a certain amount of money, like I think like 24 billion or so. Uh, right. to cover what 20 trillion in american deposits in total right. that are in the u.s banks like that threshold is so low it's if less than a, yeah if you have a crisis even close to what we had like this spring you know then then that's when problems come in the fdic can't actually insure all those accounts um and right. so why so why would you hold your dollar in the bank you know aside from the fact that there's inflation your dollars becoming less all the time the right. bank's loaning it out it's not actually there now it's not actually insured right. 
um, you know, holding a dollar is way more riskier than actually holding an asset at this point. Absolutely. I think, I mean, you hit the nail on the head very succinctly. Um, your bank could be the villain who uh, scoops in all your cash to maintain solvency. And that comes through the Dodd-Frank Act. And it gives them the right to effectively take depositors money to shore up their solvency. And uh, then the next level of arguments, people go, well, what about the FDIC? I don't have $250,000 in there. I'm, I'm safe. You're not for the very reason you just pointed out. There's you know, $20 trillion in deposits and we're using rough numbers. And let's say that even on the best day that the FDIC is worth $100 billion. 20 trillion versus 100 billion. Not even comparable. Not even close. I mean, you don't, you don't even have a penny's worth of insurance on those dollars. So if you've got multiple institutions failing like dominoes, the FDIC can't shore up all that money. Uh, they make shore up the first one or the second one. Uh, you know, it'd be better to be in one of the first banks that fails if, you, if, if you're counting on FDI insurance. But FDIC insurance. But if you actually think through it, just like you said, man, there are other assets that are going to hold value, keep uh, pace with inflation. Um, and for example, I mean, some people hate on the metals, but metals for thousands of years have held value. I mean, you know, 50 years ago, you could buy a very fine suit for an ounce of gold. Uh, same thing today. For an ounce of gold, you can buy a very fine suit, $2,000 or $200. It's the same trade exchange. Uh, so I, you know, I believe in, in uh, uh, hedging with metals, and, but I'm also a big believer in crypto um, for all the same reasons we've highlighted. I also believe in real estate, certain types of real estate. Um, and so those are three major asset classes, I think, that people should consider uh, to diversify. And then we have some, you know, particular uh, strategies that that are, are somewhat proprietary that um, uh, we utilize with the private banks that we set up to acquire other assets such that your own bank is actually lending funds to a purchasing entity in an arm's length transaction. That means the parties are not the same. They're separate parties. It's an arm's length transaction. And the bank actually uh, collateralizes and secures its investment to that uh, in that asset with liens so that the lender, your private family bank, has first uh, rights effectively lien rights on the asset class and that's very important for numerous reasons um, but for the main you know reason is uh, it's an asset protection if someone came to you and they said i have a few uh real estate properties i have maybe six figures in crypto or six figures in metal and they want to set up a structure what, what does that process kind of look like that you would take someone through and what does a structure kind of look like? Does it consist of setting up like uh, corporate structures? Is it, you know, setting up with a boutique brokerage like you mentioned before um, or a private banking partner or a combination of those things? Or do you have to tailor it to the individual or the company? But give us like a little bit of like an idea of how that kind of gets set up. Yeah, that's a great question, Brandon. Um, it, it is definitely narrowly tailored that mm -hmm. it's specific to uh, a particular family office or a particular family that uh, has a 
particular goals. So they, I mean, there's a general strategy, but it's kind of like surgery. I mean, you're going to go in with scalpels and, and actually tailor the structure to the person's particular or the family's particular needs. So for example, let me kind of give you a, a hypothetical example. We've got uh, multiple clients that are heavy in real estate and they have their they're very, they have cash surplus. And so they fund their private banking entity, which is a separate entity that we structure with the capital to um, acquire, expand, uh, restructure other debt, um, any one of those things or other things to utilize their cash instead of leaving it out in the open subject to risk. And so that bank effectively finances, let's say, a new acquisition, new apartment building, a new raw land development structure. And that purchasing entity generally is an LLC. So it may incorporate the uh, the formation of LLC or multiple LLCs, one that might manage uh, an operation, one that might own an operation. And the, their banking entity, which is uh, a separate entity, finances those uh, those transactions and collateralizes the loan with, um, you, you know, with, with, mm -hmm. with securitized, uh, liens. And on the flip side of that, I mean, the, the borrowing entities, you know, they have to pay back the loans and there's a cycle, there's a velocity of money there. That's one of the seven pillars of private banking strategies that we talk about some and where it gives you multiple touches on the same dollar. You funded your bank with a dollar. The dollar is utilized to acquire other assets. That asset produces income. That income flows back into the bank with a profit and a delta. And, and then it's just completely cycled through again. So back to the, the question at hand is um, narrowly tailored, focused on particular needs and, and interests, um, but the general strategies are, are like I described. Now, that same formula will apply with crypto purchases. We may form a bank. That bank capitalizes an entity which purchases crypto uh, and uh, Likewise, I mean, some folks are staking, you know, so I've got clients that, that like uh, HBAR, Theta, T-Fuel for the staking aspects and others as well. And so they, they've got that built into the plan and their debt service includes liquidating stakes at certain interim places or in some other some other times they have cash flow that they service the debt themselves and they let the stakes acquire because they're waiting for the right price target, you know, and that, and that can effectively, they can, you can get a 10, 20, 30, 50, sometimes a hundred X on uh, some of these uh, stakes that are, you know, they're rolling out things at, at low uh, price points that appreciate in the future, which is, that's really exciting. And uh, I think, um, so that's another aspect or another way that, that you can uh, overlay this strategy. Are these things jurisdictionally within the United States still, or are they taking advantage sometimes of uh, other countries or territories outside the U.S.? Yeah, it's primarily the private banking strategies is a, a, a U.S. structure. However, we do have 
some high net worth uh, individuals in various countries that have a nexus to the United States, meaning they have business in the United States, they have property that they own in the United States, they have uh, business partners in the United States, which they can have an insurable interest on their business partner's life, like a key man policy. If their business partner happens to pass, they need to replace that person. And so they have, you know, high, high cash value uh, insurance policies on a key man that gives them the ability to fund their structures in the U.S., take advantages of the laws like we described with Internal Revenue Code 7702 and a tax-free economy there uh, and utilize that same thing. But <clears throat> those are generally higher net worth folks and people that have uh, business interest, property, or other uh, nexus to the United States that they can show those type of things because premiums need to be paid into your bank through us banks but i've also had clients that didn't have those things but they were high net worth so they come and they buy a vacation home in florida and they open up bank accounts in florida and they start this structure and they're an international but yet they've got the ability to do that because of the nexus and their their high net worth so um it, it does. It, it, we can make it work for internationals, but it's the higher net worth folks. It's not a guy that's just starting at a at, you know lower level. Whereas in the United States, it's effectively applicable for everybody. From I mean, some of our best testimonies are for, like single mom, widowed mom, five kids starts out with like a ten thousand dollar policy, and she's managed that over a decade into over a million dollars in real estate. It's cash flowing for her and just a real success story. So <clears throat> we love the, you know, rags to riches type of story. But for the internationals, it's, it's primarily high net worth. Hey, guys, quick message from our sponsor, Nitro Betting. Nitro Betting takes your desire for anonymity seriously and allows you to play without the need to worry about identity checks and personal information. It's a betting site, not an investment site. You should be able to just have fun. As a top trusted Bitcoin betting site, Nitro Betting truly has got your back. Back to the episode, guys. Got it. I want to talk a little bit as well about taxes with with crypto and maybe some potential strategies there, because I know we've chatted about that quite a bit. And um, what's, what's very fascinating with crypto, especially in the U.S., is one, there's no legislation yet. Um, it's not specifically in the tax code. Like there's open letters, there's suggestions, there's what the IRS considers, what the CFTC considers, the SEC considers, what the what FinCEN considers. Um, and, you know, those agencies regulate, you know, certain parts of the U.S. market. But for an individual that owns crypto, you know, you get all these opinions on, you know, what you should do with it if it's considered X, Y, or Z, if it should be taxed like this or that, you know, is it income? Is it a capital gain or capital loss? Is it property? Is it a security? Like it's a nightmare. And I'm, and I'm someone that's in crypto every day and, and I love this industry, but um, when it comes to taxes around crypto, it's impossible to know what to do. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, um, you know, there's, there's people that have owned crypto for many, many years. There's people that, you know, make crypto as a form of income, they get paid in crypto, uh, they get crypto airdrops that stake their crypto and earn more um, in the form of like a dividend. Uh, there's a million different ways to to accumulate it, to buy it, sell it, trade it, whatnot. Um, and, and and then when it, at the end of the day, when it comes down to, to taxes and the IRS, it's, you know, 
it's impossible to know what what to do. And the IRS, you know, they're again, you know, they're always lynching somebody and holding them up and being like, this is John Doe and John Doe didn't give us his money for his crypto. And if you don't do it, too, we're coming after you and we're hiring X thousand agents to, to the agency. But the reality is they don't have the tools. They don't have the tech. They their technology is still probably a decade backwards. They don't understand it. Um what do you do if you're in that situation? You have a bunch of money, let's say, sitting in crypto, um, regardless of how long it's been there. Um, is there a strategy in place that someone could apply and implement to mitigate a lot of those taxes in, in regards to crypto in particular or to you know understand better what to do in that kind of a situation? Yeah, I think so. But for most people, it is a total red pill with the Matrix uh, reference, so to speak. So mm -hmm. you watch that movie, Neo had an uh, option, red pill, blue pill, took the red pill, went down the rabbit hole, and his eyes were open to a total new world. Well, it's kind of like that with the Internal Revenue Code in my mind, because uh, I think that there are options. And I think one has to educate themselves and become uh, uh, comfortable with uh, the, the law uh, that pertains to uh, taxation. And, and it, it really, it's more the absence or the omission of the law that applies uh, to most people in the United States, but they don't they don't believe that they've been brainwashed and um, strong armed, intimidated, bullied into believing that they've got to uh, comply with these uh, nonsensical extortions. So, I mean, that probably pokes some people the wrong way right when you hear it because when i first went down this rabbit hole uh, with the red pill i thought these folks are crazy you know these folks are absolutely crazy as to uh, what they're proposing i don't you know want to get uh, uh, blasted <laughs> you, know, you don't no one wants to go to jail for tax evasion but the reality is the statistics are showing that uh filers versus non-filers the overwhelming majority of prosecutions come on filers because they're signing returns under penalty of perjury that everything is teed up perfectly to, according to the internal revenue code which no one completely understands not even cpas you go to different cpas you get different opinions you get different uh strategies and so uh, it's a mess and um Effectively, I mean, you can start at the top layer. What is a citizen and, and who, how does that apply to the payment of taxes? And so that's kind of where we, we start. But as far as practical strategies, you can use uh, like the brokerage I've talked about. We have a relationship with that doesn't have any reporting requirements because they're not U.S. domiciled. And you can effectively purchase and liquidate crypto without any uh, financial disclosure. You've got that, that happens in complete privacy. And, and whether you uh, decide to disclose that or not is up to you and your own understanding of the law or absence of the laws that applies to you and your own risk tolerance. So, but the overwhelming majority of uh, prosecutions uh, in the Internal Revenue Code come with filers, people who are signing returns under penalty of perjury, not non-filers, and they're generally not the ultra-rich. In fact, there's statistics showing ultra-rich non-filers are, you know, don't, 
don't come under uh, scrutiny. And there may be very many reasons for that, one of which the IRS goes after low-hanging fruit and the people that they can absolutely win on. They know they've got them on something. They've filed under penalty of perjury, uh, and they're, it's kind of like a layup. They don't go after high, uh, you know, high hard cases. They don't go after mm-hmm. folks that have tons of uh, uh, cash. I mean, you may recall, maybe you don't recall, but I, I recall when Trump was debating uh, Hillary Clinton. And she goes, he doesn't pay his taxes. He doesn't pay his taxes. And he, he says, I don't pay taxes because I'm smart. I, mean, I remember that. That's his reply. You know, I don't pay taxes. I'm smart. You know, more $10 billion. I don't pay taxes. And people kind of shake their head and they go, how is that possible? It, it is possible because he is smart. And there's a lot of people out there that um, I think are waking up and taking that red pill. And they're seeing that it's a broken system and that tax dollars don't go to infrastructure. They don't go to the improvement of our country. They don't they don't make one single bit of difference. Uh, and if they did and there was a, a common good, people may feel differently. But, uh, you know, it's it's an extortion, not. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it, more than anything, but mm-hmm. the the payment is still a voluntary system. It's voluntary, and um, so it, it's it's a broad discussion that we can get off in in the weeds, and it will definitely provoke people. It's a polar topic, man. <laughs> you go oh, black yeah. and white, you know. Uh, but as far as crypto goes, if you're our, our audience is if they're crypto holders, they want to trade in privacy. Uh, they can they can do so. There are, there are brokerages that can do that, and we have relationships with some. They can keep their fiat in financially private storehouses, in asset protected storehouses, in tax free storehouses, and um, it's very possible. Yeah, and for people listening that are curious, you know why the rich and wealthy don't pay as much in taxes when when you have that much money and you that have you know that much at your disposal to to apply the tax system for an ordinary person is very much a linchpin it is it's something that's punishing and it it feels like they're taking advantage of you that they're extorting you and you know they're just taking x amount percentage of of dollars every single year out of your account um but again when you're wealthy and you have that money that same system evolves a bit more into an incentivization system and that this is something i've learned from experience because they put things deep into the tax code all these politicians they're always um you know amending the tax code they're putting in their own take on it they're like creating opportunity zones for real estate they're creating tax credits for for energy um like there's lots of ways where you can choose if you're wealthy enough because you have the the CPAs and accountants to find it for you and to really understand the code. You know, instead of me paying $100,000 in taxes this year because I made a lot of money, I could instead reinvest $100,000 and not pay anything in taxes. Right. And and there's lots of options like that. Again, the whole IRS code becomes an incentivization system for people that have that kind of wealth and that kind of money because they can afford to look into those things and it's something that unfortunately isn't accessible to the ordinary person one because they don't have the know-how to find it and two they don't have the capital to deploy um because oftentimes it'll say you have to invest x amount of dollars into automobiles or into houses or into land or into solar power or into 
XYZ neighborhoods or certain investment vehicles and you get those write-offs, you get those credits, you get tax deferment for, for years down the line for capital gains, um, you get forgiven for certain income. Um, so it, it's interesting and I've seen both sides of that coin and the flip side of it being very fascinating, you know, how deep that tax code goes. And, and it's, it's very thick. Like I can't imagine an ordinary person ever sitting down and, and understanding it. Um, but there's a lot of opportunity there too, for those that are, you know, playing around that are in the U S system that are kind of stuck in the U S system that are trying to navigate it. Um, also kind of want to talk about, you know, the seven pillars that kind of make up private banking strategies. I know we've covered it before, but um, I, just from a top-down perspective, would love to cover all seven of those just sure. briefly to remind people, you know, what those are and, and how they play into kind of what you do for people. Sure. Yeah. Well, the, the number one pillar is asset protection. So we want you to uh, set up structures that keep what you make. I mean, there's nothing like making something and having it fall through your hands like sand and you mm -hmm. wonder where your money went. Well, th these structures and systems help you keep it asset protected, unlike a bank a fiat money in a bank account, unlike, um, uh, you know, other places. And it also creates a system where you're, like I said, cyclically uh, paying your, your, your banking entity back. The money that it loans for acquisitions and so you're getting this multiple cycle i mean banks make a ton of money off of our deposits in fiat i mean and fractionalized lending they can take a 10 percent reserve and that's uh, giving them credit some some can even keep less on reserve they loan out 90 percent of your money you put a hundred thousand bucks in they take ninety thousand they loan it out and they make money on money that they didn't ever earn and they keep ten thousand in reserve so uh, you can create your own system whereby your bank is effectively getting that cyclical payment. So asset protection is one, um, tax-free growth. So we've talked on that. The thing about th these structures as well, Brandon, is that you can, you don't have to be a millionaire to set up the private banking structure and you've got the tax-free uh, economy and system by the Internal Revenue Code's own writing. 7702 mm -hmm. so that money in and out you capitalize the bank there's no taxable event you take the money back out there's no taxable event that's but if you put money into an ira or 401k you can't get it right back out if you and you're going to pay taxes uh at some point well not so with the private banking structure you don't pay taxes when you take it out you don't pay taxes on a death benefit when the insurance uh, policy pays on the death of the insured. It's all tax-free. So those are major differences. Um, financial privacy, we've touched on some, is like the insurance company's not raising their hand reporting transactions, and you've got the ability to fund and withdraw without any uh, financial disclosure. Um, the velocity of money, we mentioned that's pillar number four, and we, we've we talk about capitalizing the bank. The bank 
capitalizing acquisitions or refinancing or expanding a company and then that cash flow spinning off of from those assets comes back into the bank then the bank rinses and repeats with another asset another business another refinance restructure and you've got that what's called the velocity of money getting the same dollar cycling around in your own economy um, then number five is where you never go backwards. Unlike stocks, unlike other investments, which have uh, risk, the uh, life insurance uh, structure that we use, it never goes backwards. It's only increasing. And the guaranteed rate of return is about 4% plus dividends. So it's about 7% or so. Uh, then we've got, you've always got the ability to access your money. So you've got complete liquidity is guaranteed financing. You're never going to go to a bank and have the uh, your own bank and have the bank go, sorry, we can't loan you the money. So you've always got that complete liquidity. And then the seventh pillar is uh, legacy value. You've got tax-free transfer to your heirs. When someone passes and then there's an insurance policy on their life, that death benefit passes to the beneficiaries tax-free. So it's a tax-free system, but those are the seven pillars that are real cornerstones of this foundation. And you can find that on our website as well and read, dig into some of those and uh, uh, have a lot of content that drill down in those. Absolutely. And, and you have other content too. You have a book, right? I think we talked about that last time on the podcast. Yeah, we sure do. It's a it's a it's a free book that we offer to prospects, uh, and it's a, what the banks don't want you to know. Uh, and it's it's on our website as well. All you do is you just put in your contact information, and it becomes available to you both in a uh, PDF version and an audio version. So you can take it on the go, listen to it as you're jogging or on a treadmill. You don't have to you don't have to bother with it. So it, it's, and that's kind of, that's kind of a, a starting place for, to introduce some of these issues that get people thinking. And then if that resonates with them, they can dive into podcasts and other content and, uh, and stay on the journey with us. Are you doing other podcasts, other audio video uh, content at the moment with, with anyone else or with your, with your own uh, business, um, what, what are you doing in terms of uh, vocalizing right now? Yeah, totally. We've yeah, we've been doing podcasts, producing our own podcast for about three years. I think we probably oh, nice. got sixty or seventy in the can uh, that they can all access for free right right, out, right through our website. Um, we're often uh, guests on other folks, either in real estate industry, also into the crypto space, and some of these spaces that we've talked about um, that are uh, great partnerships with private banking, like you know, hand in glove type of uh, relationships, and where we think that private banking strategies really shines. It shines in real estate. It shines in crypto, where you're funding your bank and then acquiring these assets, and you've got assets that spin off a return like staking or like cash flow on real estate. So uh, those are places, entrepreneurs, business owners that have the ability to uh, cycle the cash. Great, great uh, candidates for utilizing this structure at a premium level. How can someone get a hold of you if they want to you know, start the conversation? They want to figure out, you know, what what needs they need to address, um, if they want to relay and get some ideas from you, work with you, um, you know, what's the best route to get in contact and set something up? 
Sure. Yeah. The, the best way is to hit that website, man, and take a look at that red pill book. We like to call it what the banks don't want you to know. Uh, it's a quick it's a quick read and or, or you can listen to it, like I said, uh, even faster, speed it up. And, and bust through it. And then if that resonates with you, check out some of the podcasts because we've got them pretty well organized and you, you can start in a certain place or if a certain title or topic resonates with you, jump in there. And um, if, if those things are resonating with you, then you can schedule an exploratory call uh, with us and my partner, Vance, who's been a, a wealth manager for over 40 years. He was managing you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in, in uh, Texas, a lot of oil and gas money. And, and when he found private banking strategies 20 years ago or so, and he, he, he's got a story that he tells people why he left traditional wealth management for this private banking structure and system. And it's a, it's quite a quite a story, man, quite a journey uh, of, of what uh, has transpired in his life. And, and he's got the background to explain why traditional money management is inferior to, to managing your own family banking system. Awesome. Yeah. I want to meet this guy too. I haven't, I haven't uh, talked to him yet, but I've had a n number of conversations with you. Yeah. He's a great guy. We should have him on, man. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, guys, for those listening in the audience, we'll have all the links in the description for the episode below, including the website. So please go click on that um, to you know check out the book, check out the podcast, check out the website, get in contact with Seth, and you know fi find some help for what you're doing and prepare accordingly because the world is getting crazier and crazier every single week. <laughs> um, I can't stress that enough. Um, so you know prepare accordingly, be smart. Uh, Seth, thank you for coming on the podcast again uh, today. It's uh, it's it's always a pleasure. We always have a really good conversation, and I, I think there's a lot of value here that people can take out of this. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for having me, Brandon. Likewise, really enjoy our conversations and hopefully bring some some value to your audience that, that piques interest and helps them to go down some places that will help protect them and their families. Absolutely. Take care, Seth. We'll talk soon. Final message from our sponsor, Nitro Betting. Nitro Betting gives you so many options to bet, wager, and play. With a deep sports book from NFL to NBA to NHL to MLB to MMA to motorsports to poker to blackjack to esports to Rocket League to Call of Duty, there's plenty of diversity and choice, whatever you guys want to do. So go to nitrobetting.eu to experience everything they have to offer and see you on the next episode, guys.